This episode of Innovation Heroes is brought to you by SHI's recruitment team. Visit shi.com slash careers to learn more. Welcome to SHI's Innovation Heroes, a podcast exploring the people and businesses making a difference in our constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. Usually on these podcasts, we try to edit out things like coughs. Not today. (coughs) Today, we celebrate the involuntary pulmonic spasm known as a cough, because there's a lot of innovation happening these days around respiratory illnesses, and the cough might be the hidden variable, the secret ingredient that's helping scientists, caregivers, and even app developers chart a path to a brighter future. For example, did you know there's a lot of hidden information that's transmitted in every single cough? The cough of a person suffering from TB has its own unique signature. (coughs) And so does the cough of someone who has pneumonia. (coughs) And yes, even COVID-19 has its own audio profile. (coughs) There's a reason doctors spend so many years in medical school. It's their job to unlock the information from something as banal as a cough. To the untrained ear, it's hard to know what a specific cough is trying to tell you. And even if you can get in front of a doctor, forcing yourself to cough in their presence doesn't give them much information about the frequency of your cough or if there are certain factors that make it worse or better. Your doctor can't follow you around listening to you cough and taking notes all day, but there's a lot of data and information that could help them diagnose and figure out treatment plans if that were somehow possible. It's not about, oh, we have a new drug. It's about we have a patient that we finally understand because that person probably went and saw five doctors in the last five years and they told him, look, I'm coughing all the time. And the doctor may have thought that she's exaggerating, may have thought that this is not a serious issue. But the truth is that if you cough 600 times a day, your quality of life's just not there. Enter Hyfe, which bills itself as the world's most sophisticated acoustic AI. Hyfe is an app that's used daily by researchers, medical professionals, as well as thousands of regular people from all over the world. Powered by artificial intelligence and deep neural networks, it runs on any smartphone to identify coughs and other acoustic-based symptoms in real time. It pretty much is the answer to having a doctor in your pocket. To talk more about how this tech could change the world, I'm joined by Julian Serko, the co-founder of Hyfe. He's led unique, action-packed operations in some of the world's most challenging environments and is also actively involved with several impact-minded ventures as co-founder, advisor, investor, or board member. Julian, welcome to Innovation Heroes. Thank you, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. Julian, where are you joining us from today? I am based in Vienna, Austria. And, and I understand that you're on the road. And it was a very interesting thing that, that, that you said when we, we first got on. You said uh, that you were, you're traveling and for this podcast, you were looking for a place with good acoustics, which is very interesting given what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Acoustic is, uh, acoustic is an important topic uh, in my professional life. So with that segue, uh, what's the elevator pitch of what Hive does? So Hive is the Fitbit for cough, Ed. It runs on any smartphone and it uses artificial intelligence to detect cough as it happens. The output is basically a precise timeline of your cough frequency. And eventually we want it to be a Shazam for cough so that it will recognize disease signature in individual coughs 
and help providers identify diseases before symptoms are present. So Fitbit for cough, but also Shazam for cough. So when you use Shazam to identify a song, it you don't turn Shazam on and it says, well, that's music. It says, this is this particular song. So not only is it frequency of cough, but it's actually what your cough is, the, the actual, I don't know, is quality of cough a, a, a thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the signature, the, the unique signature. And, you know, like diseases contain signature that is visible in several spectrums. You know, you can see it with, you know, in chemical spectrums. You, you do a lab test and you see the signature of the disease, right? That's what the blood work is all about. And you can see it with imaging. I mean, an X-ray, uh, MRI, it's just an image of what's going on there that contains signature. And if you talk to, if you talk to any experienced uh, clinician, they will tell you, oh, if I can listen to your cough, I can tell you a lot about what's going on there, right? And yet no one's actually thought about uh, quantifying it. Or maybe people have thought about it, but it just it wasn't easy until now, you know? And, and the funny thing is that when you cough in front of a pulmonologist, the pulmonologist will tell you about that cough, but usually you're coughing in a place where there's no clinician nearby, right? You cough at home while you sleep in front of your TV. And all of that's super, you know, potentially super interesting information, but what you do have when you're at home, when you're watching TV, there's a phone nearby, right? That's kind of the, that's kind of our, our thing. And we, we insisted from the beginning to make this super convenient, right? Because no one wants to, no one wants to do work to, to, to track any biomarker, right? So it just runs on the phone and it detects your cough and boom. And, and by doing that, we basically created a whole new category, which is, we, we refer to it as acoustic epidemiology because disease contains unique acoustic signature and cough is just one way to detect that. But you could, in theory, apply the same model to so many other sounds, to sneezing, to snoring, to wheezing. And, and I'm super excited about this whole space, you know? Yeah, um, I, I, I can I can see why, you know, what diagnostic benefit does it have for the average patient? Meaning, you know, what health challenges does it address and how does it do it better than what we've already got? There's a lot of people who just suffer from coughing, right? Cough is just, it's just one of those things that it's probably one of the most common symptoms, right? You have it in every single respiratory disease, but you have it also in a bunch of non-respiratory disease. And at any given point, there are 10% of the adult population, they just cough and they have no idea why. And often these people, they, you know, they go and see a doctor, their journey is, is, is amazingly similar, right? They go and see a doctor and the doctor says, oh, you know, just get some tea or, you know, get some rest. There's, there isn't really a thing that you can do for cough, right? So people want to take things into their own hand and data just helps them a lot, right? Because as you're trying to manage your condition, you're thinking, oh, maybe I should remove gluten out of my diet or something, or maybe I should, you know, you're doing lifestyle changes and you can see, because you're tracking your cough, you can see an immediate impact into how your cough frequency is changing, right? And that's super helpful, right? Because, you know, you're, you're experimenting with things and you're just learning what works for you. And the second reason why they love to do that is because now they can show the doctor and doctors just love it because they have never been able to do this, to just to look at data, to look at, at objective longitudinal data about cough, and more, more, even more than that, to look at the way that their treatment correlates with that.
you brought up a good point, putting myself in the shoes of a, a medical practitioner who's who's having a conversation. You know, you might have five different people who could have very similar coughs, but they just describe them differently. And you've got to interpret the words that that they're saying and somehow factor that into your diagnosis. Right. Like this kind of eliminates that. Yeah. And that's the that's been the gold standard. It's just the clinician asking you to. And if I was to ask you now, Ed, how many times did you cough yesterday? And it wasn't more or less than than day before. There's no way that you remember. There's just no way. And it's super powerful and it's powerful at an individual level, but it's even more powerful at a community level. Right. I don't know if you know this project in New York where they have they listen to gunshots in the city. I don't know if you've heard about it. And, and the police basically doesn't wait for anyone to call them. They just see an increase in gunshots. They just go there. And they monitor it over time. Uh, and that helps them staff the various sections in the city accordingly, right? So they have, a, they have a really good understanding of actual violence rather than reported violence in the city. And you could do the same with, with uh, public health, right? Like if you, if you think about um, a university, for example, or you know, a campus, um, an airport, a shopping mall, a cinema, a, 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 an office building. And you know a lot of the variables that go in there, how many people, how long they stay, and so on. And you can define a baseline for cough frequency, aggregated cough frequency in that building, right? Like any, any hour, you have a median of 300 coughs, whatever. And you define that baseline, and then one at, at some point you see an increase, a deviation from that baseline, right? Think of it like a heat map. You can have like a, a, a map of this building and you have a heat map. And during a pandemic, that's almost certainly an indication there's an outbreak in that area, right? And you can react immediately. You don't have to wait for tests to come back. And you can do it in a way that doesn't infringe on people. You don't have to stop people and say, you must do a test now or you must show, you know, there's, there's just like an instant ability that you can act on this data. Um, without having to create these weird things that some people that, that people are uncomfortable about uh, these days, you know. Absolutely. So to to your point, there's a lot a lot of folks in our audience are uh, really love to hear the uh, the speeds and feeds uh, statistics of things. So how does the app and the tech actually work on a on a technical level? All right. So our product is basically a machine learning model, and relevantly for a machine learning model is be it is built on the world's largest data set of cuffs. And I'm happy to, to, to talk about how we, how we got to be the owners of the, the world's largest data set of cuffs. And cuffs and cuff-like sounds, I should say, because the, the false positives are as important as the, as, the, as the true positives when you build machine learning models. I mean, you've, you've got to get in the Guinness Book of World Record for that. So just, just because, if you have the potential to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, so we, our data set currently, Ed, has more than 140 million samples of sounds, which is basically sounds that are structured very similarly with cuffs. A lot of them are cuffs, but a lot of them are false positive. They, they, they sound like cuffs, but they're not cuffs. And we're struggling to label all of that because, you know, you labeling, like the data set grows exponentially just because we get a lot of traction, but the labeling can only happen linearly. You have to have people listening to every sound and say cough, non-cough, and that's super slow, you know? Uh, it's basically our biggest bottleneck. But so our product's basically this machine learning model, and we designed it, it's, it's you know, it's the performance incredible. Like I, I'm telling you honestly, it's really hard 
to justify improving the performance any 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 further you know because it's just like our probability of detecting a cough from a sound on a basic device without any kind of special microphones or anything is 98% or something you know achieving that 2% difference is almost not worth it right and and the way it works is it's there's there's a there's a first phase which is just detecting the sound you know like it's it's it works like that smart speaker that has a a, a, a women's name that we should not mention uh, in a podcast, but <laughs> when you say that name, it activates, right? And and the way our our uh, model works is when there's a sound that has the structure of a cough, it activates. And what it does is it does that initial processing on the phone, and this is important, and also because we need to talk about privacy and stuff. So it does that initial detection on the phone. It chops the peak of that sound right like if you if you think about a sound like a spectrogram there's a there's a peak and it just chops that peak which is maximum maximum half a second and then that peak gets then processed on the cloud against our super powerful models and the output gets sent back to the device and it's one or zero cough non cough right and that's really all there is to it and uh, and you know i mean we could do the whole processing on the phone but that would have a cost in battery life and people just hate when they're, when they have an app on the phone, it just drains their battery. You know? So there's, there needs to be a compromise between, you know, like performance and, and, and battery life, you know? So, so yeah, it runs on any smart device. It detects cuffs in real time and it runs in the background. So you, once you turn it on, you don't have to worry about it. It just shows just like a, just like the Fitbit. Once it's on, it just shows you your steps, you know? Hi, I'm Stacey Terranova, and I'm SHI's Director of Talent Acquisition. SHI isn't just a great place to get all of your organization's technology needs met. It's also a great place to work. We've been hiring nonstop for over 30 straight years, with 5,000 employees now proudly contributing to our growth. We are the largest women and minority-owned business enterprise in the United States. Listed in Forbes for Best Employers for Diversity in 2019 and America's Largest Private Companies in 2018, we are consistently hiring great candidates for roles at all levels. We're still expanding globally, and we still need the right people to make that happen. Whether you're just getting started in the tech industry, or if you're a seasoned IT pro looking for your next big opportunity, we invite you to check out shi.com careers to see our latest list of job openings. We'd love to have you join the team. I don't know about you, but I'm downloading Hype right now. I need to see exactly how many times a day I'm coughing without even realizing. I'm so glad we have an expert like Julian Serco to explain how the app he's co-founded can make an impact at the individual as well as the community level. But I'm also curious about how Hyfe could change the future of the healthcare system on a more fundamental level beyond its amazing use cases for specific symptoms. Julian, throughout history, you know, anytime new technology like this is introduced, it either, you know, displaces someone's expertise or, or makes it, you know, maybe no longer relevant. You know, have you received pushback from you know, traditional medical practitioners about this or have they embraced it? Yeah, I mean, we received healthy skepticism 
which I welcome, to be honest, because I think it's on us to validate what we're doing. It's on us to prove that what we're doing works. I think that, you know, healthcare practitioners have a healthy skepticism, just like by temperament, which I think in the long term is a good thing. I mean, any good scientist is a bit skeptical and they should be, you know, I mean, that's how science progresses. But the industry in itself is actually really funny. I don't know if you like, there's this expression that I've heard recently and I, I just love uh, how it how it reflects on how it kind of describes the state of healthcare. And it says that we have medicine from Star Wars and healthcare from the Flintstones. <laughs> so the, the, the back end, the science and the medicine is amazing. But at the front end, Ed, you have to call a number and say, my name is Ed and you know, I must come see a doctor. And they say, come next Tuesday. Then you go there on Tuesday. What's your name? Ed, this, that. You're giving the same information. It's just incredible that in this day and age, I mean, I'm doing so many things. I do my shopping. I do my, I do my, uh, you know, my banking. I do, you know, there's just like, uh, I order food. And then my health care is just like it was in the 70s. Right. But I see that as an opportunity. To be honest, I love that because you can only go up from here. You know what I mean? Like we're rock bottom in terms of innovation there. And there's already a few things happening at the same time. And, and, and it's going to happen. And the pandemic, ironically, is accelerating this change because all of a sudden we have to deliver healthcare while social distancing. We have to do it virtually. We have, and that's just accelerating this, this, this change, you know? So, so yeah, it's a conservative industry. It's, but it's ready to be disrupted and no single company will do that disruption, but we all do our parts, you know, and I'm super happy to be, to be in the, in the, on the front lines of, of this change, you know, with, with our company. I think you said earlier that you have 140 million samples of sounds. Um, I think you, I, I read that you have 70,000 plus end users. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the consumers on the consumer side. I, I should say that we have a, we have a consumer product, which is, free and will forever be free and there's no strings attached so that we don't sell advertising we don't sell data we don't and so yeah we have about seventy thousand uh, uh unique users in the consumer app and that's without having done any marketing ever basically it's just organic in our hyper-connected data is currency world um you know Privacy is is a leading concern. Um, so, what is, what are some of the things you guys are thinking about to keep your data secure? Is it just that consent, or is it is it more than that? Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, I I think that this is one of the hardest problems we have in 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 tech today, and in particular in AI, right? And you know, I mean, there's a there's a continuous tension between like impact or accuracy and privacy, and that's you know, I mean, this problem is made a lot worse by the fact that we, you know, we're at the tail end of an era. Where, where it's just like, we've just been, we've been, we've gotten used with a business model that's just super sketchy, right? You, you know, you're, you're giving away all this data uh, in ways that you don't fully understand so that someone can sell you some. That's like the internet's original sin, right? No one pays for anything, but everybody's data gets sold to everybody. You know, it's terrible, I hate it. And you know, I'm a parent, I have a teenager, I have a teenage child and, I just hate it, and 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 I I'm I'm in my personal life I'm very focused on privacy. I'm very aware of what's going on. I'm someone who uses encryption and stuff. So so you know I want this. I don't like this model, and I don't want my business to have any part in that business model, right? But at the same time, we're building 
we're, we're, you know, I think that the impact of personalized healthcare can be huge, right? Like then, the, you know, I want personalized healthcare for myself. I want it for my children. And how do we do this? And, and you know, I don't really have an answer, you know, but it's just something that's always front of mind. And as a team, it's something that we discuss all the time, right? Um, and, you know, in terms of how we practically deal with this on, on with our app is, first of all, consent, information, transparency, but then you have the problem that people don't actually read that, right? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to build our tech in such a way that all of the stuff that could be of concern happens on your device and not on our servers, you know? We're trying to experiment with, with encryption so that it stays on your device, the keys on your device, it gets processed, but no one can, can have access to that. And eventually we'll just do everything on device. Changing it up a little bit, I saw that you have a history of participating in you know dozens of you know humanitarian missions, as well as you know building and running country operations for global relief organizations in places like Somalia and Mozambique. Right? Is this you know it's pretty well documented the challenge that that any aid organization has in getting doctors and equipment and medicine you know to to some far-reaching places. I mean, I guess uh, you know in terms of like early detection, Hyfe is really going to to help with that. In some of your you know humanitarian missions uh, that must have been you know part of the inspiration for this for sure i mean my my kind of early career which you know it's most of my life basically i I worked in this sort of fringe uh, extreme type environments and and it definitely shaped how i think about technology right and and i love it and you know i i'm i'm not a technologist by i'm kind of a reluctant technologist like i'm not an engineer but I'm someone who's who's just been shaped by seeing how technology is like this huge equalizer, you know. And and this is the original idea, isn't it? Like before before this original scene came in, where we just gave away our privacy. I'm that generation. We're just talking about about music before we started recording. We're the same generation, right? Like when it all when it all started, it was I was I was so inspired by this idea of of you know the internet's the big equalizer, and I didn't abandon it completely, you know. And I think that. If you look at if you look at healthcare, just to, to keep it practical, if you look at healthcare statistics, um, and these statistics apply anywhere in the world, they apply in Somalia as much as they apply in downtown New Jersey, is that the, the biggest factor is access to healthcare. And access to healthcare is, you know, like is a function of access to diagnostics, right? So you know, if 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 you know that you're sick, you're gonna do something about it. And people live in places where diagnostics is either far away or it's expensive or it's both. It's far away and expensive. And, and, and that's why you have, you have children under five dying of pneumonia, you know, which is curable and it's cheap, the cure for it is cheap and stuff. If they'd have diagnostics, it'd be, you know, it'd be easy, right? Now imagine that you could have any smartphone in this world converted into a laboratory. You just get a diagnostic and the diagnostic is just as good in Bangalore or in Bihar as it is, you know, in, in New England, right? You get the same quality diagnostic, you get it instant. And it's, and then when, when you get diagnostic, you get your treatment customized to your reality. Um, and I mean, imagine the impact of that and it would cost nothing. It just really wouldn't cost anything. You, you could make this available to everyone for like a few cents or even for free. That there's probably business models that you can make this available for free. You know, so I'm so you know I'm so excited about that, and and you know I'd love to do my part in that becoming a reality. You know, I guess my my last question. Um, 
Well, I, I always say that, then I ask more, so I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> what's the biggest thing standing in the way of, of you guys finding the success you're looking for? I mean, look, I have a few things to grumble, uh, you know, that have to do with the wider industry and with the state of the technology and the mistrust that people have in the thing. And But overall, I'm like a huge optimist, you know, like I am so excited. I, I mean, I, I think this is going to happen hundred percent. My whole thesis is that it, it will happen. And, and I don't have the delusion that we're going to cause this to happening. That's it's not us, you know, but what we're doing is we're ahead of the way. We're basically surfing this big wave that's building behind us. And it's building because it's time. The technology is mature. The, the, the infrastructure is ready. The penetration's there. The, the understanding and the, the, you know, just like the, the science is mature. We, you know, we know how AI works. We know how, you know, what the potential is. The data is easier to generate. We already have enough longitudinal data to actually build powerful models. And now it's just going to have to happen. And, and we need to make sure that we're alert so that we, we, we play an important role in this as a company and, you know, as a team. We have clients that love what we're doing. They're excited. We have partners that are willing to co-create and experiment with us that take the risk to, to partner with what is a pretty, a pretty out there technology, you know? So, so, you know, honestly, I'd be dishonest to, to grumble about anything, to be honest, you know? You paint a really positive message, so I think you're entitled to a little grumbling if you want to. But uh, I also think that hearing you talk, you know, just from an outsider's perspective, um, you know, 70,000 people signed up without any marketing or advertising because it just it makes sense what you're doing. And people usually follow things that like this is one of those things to me. I'm like, why? Why wasn't this thought of before? And, you know, it's it's, you know, kudos to you guys for for doing that. So Julian Serco, co-founder of Hi, if I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for the great work you're doing and thanks for the time you took to join us today and, and tell us about it. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. The healthcare system is rife for change, and I'm so thankful that there's people like Julian Serco and his team at Hyfe to help lead the charge. It won't be an immediate shift by any means, nor should it be. We need to make sure that the tech integrations we're utilizing are also protecting people's data. It's crucial that while we enable patients to take more control of their own care, we do it in a way that supports the work doctors and other professionals are already doing rather than hinders it. I can't wait to see how the amazing Shazam for coughs will continue to push the industry forward and the better, more tech-enabled and equitable world that we could end up with as a result. Thanks for listening to this episode of Innovation Heroes. Next time on the podcast, I'll finally solve a mystery that's been bugging me for months. What the heck is blockchain? Why do I keep hearing about it in the enterprise space? And what does it actually mean for the future of our industry? Meta Parlikar is the CTO and co-founder of Casper Labs, the first blockchain built for enterprise adoption. So you could say she's exactly the right person to school me on how this tech is changing the world. So tune in in two weeks. You won't want to miss it. If you enjoyed this episode, then consider being our hero. Smash that like and subscribe button to Innovation Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Innovation Heroes is a Pilgrim content production in collaboration with SHI. Our producers are Tobin Dalrymple and Jessica Schmidt, with production assistance from Carmi Levy, Ronnie Lattimar, Jane Norman, Amanda Sheffer Cavanaugh, and Ryan Wetter. I'm your host, Ed McNamara, and I'll be back with another amazing story in two weeks. This episode of Innovation Heroes is brought to you by the recruitment team at SHI. 
Learn more at shi.com slash careers.